Let's turn our Bibles over to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. And we'll see both of them die in great faith. Great faith. We ended our first assembly in the first 12 verses of Genesis 45, seeing that Joseph had great mercy, great forgiveness, great affection for his wicked brothers who had sinned so heinously against him and against his father. And he did it by trust in the secret will of God. He knew, and God had blessed him to understand it, that he had been sent down into Egypt by God's will for the salvation of the whole family, for the people of God that had descended from Abraham. And it's a great lesson for us. We can see in our past God's movement of things, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But in both cases, it's the will of God. Job's wife came to him because he was suffering some an evil turn of circumstances and said, curse God and die. He said, you're speaking like a foolish woman. Shall we receive good at the hands of God and not evil? They both come from him. He's got his purpose in both. And as you have heard recently from Job chapter 33 and verse 12, Elihu had the answer for the whole thing. God is greater than man. Job, if God wants to do something with you by putting you down for His greater glory, He has a right to do it and He's done it. And if you would humble yourself before Him, you could have this lesson over with. Those are the words and counsel of Elihu. We want to trust the secret will of God. There are sins in your past that God allowed to occur. And they may have consequences in the present. You sinned, you are guilty, and apart from the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, you shall suffer for those sins eternally. But by the redemption that's in Christ, Jesus were forgiven in that legal sense and in the final sense of our salvation. But also, we are able to look at the secret will of God and trust God that He used that event for His greater glory in our lives. And we should humble ourselves before it and profit by it in every way that we can. It's a shame that ten brothers of Joseph didn't do that. It's a shame that we don't have a chapter here of them pouring out their grief for what they did to Joseph. We don't have such a chapter. Joseph was exceptional in that family. As we shall see when we come to Jacob's blessing before he died. We saw in verses 13 through 15... I read to you verses 14 and 15 about Benjamin and Joseph and their great affection for each other. And we see again the bowels of compassion and tender feelings of great men. Joseph was a great man. Not only was he a great man of character, but he is now in a great position. He's ruler over Egypt. But even though he's ruler over Egypt, he still is not ashamed of crying. He's not ashamed of kissing men. He's not ashamed of kissing all his brothers and weeping on their necks for a good while. And it shows a tender heart that we want to emulate in our own lives. Jesus Christ was like that. David was like that. Timothy was like that. And Paul loved that about Timothy. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that he loved his many tears. 
And we ought to be able to express our affections and show our compassion and show our feelings. And there ought to be feelings to show toward our brethren, even those that have wronged us, even those we haven't seen in 21 years, even though they were half-brothers. Joseph still showed it toward his family. He was a great man in character of his bowels of compassion and his tender feelings. Let's come to verse 16 of this chapter. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, Lade your beasts, and go, get you unto the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Also, regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours." What a king. He's giving, he's giving Joseph some commands now. Now, usually, he, uh, he is doing whatever Joseph wants to be have done because he knows it's for the benefit of the land. But here he's commanding Joseph because he wants to honor Joseph and he wants to reward Joseph for nine years of outstanding performance. Seven years of prosperity and two years of famine. There are yet five years remaining. But it's been nine years and Joseph is in good standing with Pharaoh. There is a tendency on the part of despotic and absolute rulers to be jealous of their throne. It's been true through the history of the world. Pharaoh was a despotic and absolute monarch of his nation. But he had put one in charge that unless he was in the throne, Joseph gave the root word. And you would think that after nine years, some jealousy might have risen. Joseph was actually the savior of the nation. Joseph was the one that stored up bread and corn. Corn for bread. Joseph was the one that was able to feed these people. And yet, when we see Pharaoh hearing that Joseph's family has come and that his brothers are there, look at Joseph, I mean, look at Pharaoh and what he wants to do for Joseph. What's the lesson? What is your reputation in the world? What is your reputation with unbelievers? Joseph had a great reputation, even though he was in a situation that could have resulted in some jealousy on the part of Pharaoh. His integrity, his respectful treatment of Pharaoh, his faithful discharge of his job, his lack of ambition to compete with Pharaoh, his contentment with the role he had been given, saved him and his reputation. And you're going to see that reputation throughout We're going to see it a couple more times. Pharaoh wanted to honor Joseph because he had a reputation, even though it was a believer before an unbeliever, that was outstanding. What is your reputation before the world? Customers, employees, employers, neighbors, law enforcement officers, family, unsaved family members. What is your reputation? Joseph had a great one. There was no jealousy on the part of Pharaoh. All he wanted to do was honor him. And you know, if you work like that, if you wait on the fig tree and keep the fig tree, you'll eat the fruit of it. And Joseph had waited on the fig tree of Egypt for nine years. 
he was applying all of his efforts to save this nation, this pagan nation, from famine. And he gets the reward of Pharaoh wanting to treat him with honor. He hears about the brethren, and he says, listen, take the wagons of Egypt. Take our beamers. Take our beamers and drive them back into Canaan for your family. And don't worry about your stuff back there. Don't rent any U-Hauls and haul all your stuff down here. Just leave it there, box it up, bar up the house, come down here, I'll provide everything you need. What a wonderful way Joseph was treated by Pharaoh after nine years, which shows that for nine years, and that's many days, that's many months, that's going to work many times, he had discharged himself in a faithful way just like he always had. He had done it with Pharaoh, Potiphar. He did it with Potiphar. He did it with the jailer. And now he's doing it with Pharaoh. He is always faithful on the job. And that is a warning and a lesson for us that we would be the same way. His great diligence, his faithfulness, his humility, his integrity, and his zeal for Egypt, because that was his assignment, brought the favor of Pharaoh upon him. Verse 24, he sends his brethren back. Now he added a few goodies to what Pharaoh sent. Verse 23 tells us that he sent ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. Make sure they had enough to eat while they made the trip down. And that's what Jacob saw when he looked out the window after his sons had told him Joseph is alive and he's the governor of Egypt. But verse 24 I want. So he sent, this is Joseph. So Joseph sent his brethren away, and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. See that ye fall not out by the way. You know, that's a strange little expression. Except we have a saying, when two people are in a fight, sometimes we'll say, they've had a, they've had a falling out. That's what this statement means. Joseph sat there through an interpreter hearing them, but they did not know he understood. And he saw the brethren fighting right off the bat as to who was guilty for what they had done to Joseph. Remember, Reuben has already said a couple chapters early, I told you guys not to do that, and you wouldn't listen to him. And he says, I don't want you to have a falling out on the way home. He wasn't worried about them getting lost. Trust me. He wasn't worried about them deciding, let's not go home, let's go live in Arabia. They had wives and children back there. This was all about them fighting on the way, and this is a wise man. This is Joseph showing his wisdom and his compassion, saying, listen, I've forgiven you. There's nothing to fight about or squabble about, whether Reuben tried to save me and you didn't listen to him, or Simeon's mostly responsible. Forget all that. Don't let there be a falling out by the way. Just go on back home and be thankful that I'm alive. Be thankful that God has sent me before you to save the family. Go tell Dad and bring him down here and let's have a family reunion. Don't be squabbling or fighting about who's guilty. What great forgiveness Joseph had and what wisdom he had because he had picked up on that and they did have that problem even though it was 22 years later. Let's come to verse 28 of Genesis chapter 46. Jacob is coming down with his family to see Joseph 
and to live in Egypt because of the famine. Verse 28, And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. Joseph and his father. Here again, we have the honor of a son to his father. The honor of a son to his father is not a good idea. It's not something our church thinks differently from others. It's a commandment of Scripture. Honor thy father. Rise up before the hoary head. Reverence your fathers. All this is taught in the Bible. It's taught very plainly in the Bible. It's the first commandment with the promise. Obeying your parents is not the first commandment with the promise. Honoring your father and your mother is the first commandment with the promise. Honoring your parents is different than obeying them. Obeying them is easier and it's shorter than honoring them. The obedience part ends after a while when they put you out of their house or you leave their house and find a spouse and are married. If they come back to you and tell you to do something, I hope you would still obey them because you should. But for the rest of your life, you should be honoring your mother and your father. It's something that never ends. And Joseph loved to honor his father. And I hope that in your reading and meditating of these chapters over the last few weeks, you are able to, in your eye, in your mind's eye, see Joseph getting his chariot ready. The prince of Egypt, the governor of Egypt, and riding down to Goshen to meet his father. Twenty-two years later, Jacob lays eyes on his beloved son Joseph. Twenty-two years later, the boy for whom he made the coat of many colors is arriving in a chariot to meet him. He's the ruler of the land of Egypt. And what a tender meeting that was. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. The Bible doesn't tell us how long. Was that five minutes or was it a half hour? But Joseph fell on his father's neck. And what a reunion. And this is in the Word of God to comfort our souls. But it also tells us what tender affection and regard he had for his father. If you want to be blessed... The blessing of a good life and a long life depends upon you honoring your parents. Joseph did that. What a blessing he's going to get when his father lays on his, lies on his deathbed and goes through each of the sons from oldest to youngest and gives them a blessing. Because Joseph is taking care of the whole family and he's taking care of his father very tenderly. He made sure there was provision for the way so that dad was eating well on the way down into Egypt. We read that earlier. Oh, brethren, we see tears again. We see the tender-heartedness of Joseph. A hard-hearted man cannot be a sanctified Christian. It's a soft-hearted man, a tender-hearted man that has compassion and feelings, that can easily shed tears and loves the dramatic moment, loves to hug and kiss, even his enemies, because he's full of compassion, because the Lord has been compassionate toward us who were his enemies. Why can't we be toward ours who have never done to us what we have done against God? Verse 31 of Genesis 46. 
And Joseph said unto his brethren, and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh, and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, What is your occupation? That ye shall say, Thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers. That ye may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Joseph is showing his prudence and his discretion by finding them a place where they can live, where the Egyptians are not going to be able to bother them much, and where they can be together. And guess what kind of land it was? It was the best land of Egypt. It's the, it's the delta of the Nile River. Go look where Goshen is in the land of Egypt on any Bible map in the back of your Bibles. Pharaoh had said, I will nourish you and I'll help you in the best land of Egypt. And that's where they went. That land wasn't as valuable to the Egyptians who didn't understand shepherding like these Hebrews did. And so here Joseph is telling them how he's going to do it. He's going to go lay the groundwork with Pharaoh, and then when they come in, they're to say, yes, we're shepherds. We've always been shepherds. Our fathers were shepherds. Where do you think we ought to live? (laughs) And Joseph would have already greased the skids for them to be in Goshen, the best part of Egypt. He's always taking care of his family. He's wise and prudent. He shows his discretion. Verse 13 of chapter 47. Verse 13 of chapter 47, all the way to verse 26. And I'm not going to read it because it's such a lengthy passage. Verses 13 through 26 of chapter 47 are Joseph's methods for getting payment for Pharaoh out of the corn that he has stored up. And do you know what he does? He buys the souls of that nation for Pharaoh. No man ever had a better treasurer or chief financial officer or chief operating officer or chief executive officer working for him than Pharaoh did. They came and brought their money. Then they sold their cattle. They sold their lands. They sold their lives. And they sold in perpetuity that they were going to pay a tax into the future to pay for present-day corn. And who had grown that corn? They had. What a great banker. Not, and even an international banker to a degree. Because they had taken money in from nations all around Egypt that were also suffering in this famine. But I want to show you the discretion, the wisdom, and the prudence. When you are making decisions for your business or your home or your life, Are you cautious and deliberate? Do you seek the counsel of a multitude of counselors? Joseph was a wise man. God gave him an abundance of wisdom himself. God has not given all of us the wisdom of Joseph. How do we find that wisdom? We find it in his word. We find it by studying Joseph. And we find it in a multitude of counselors. Because in such a multitude of counselors there is safety. But let's be as discreet and as prudent and wise as Joseph was. Look at how faithful he was to Pharaoh. Pharaoh bought the souls of Egypt through Joseph in perpetuity into the future. Joseph gathered the money of the nations round about Egypt for the corn that he had stored up. And you know what that money ended up doing? It ended up building the tabernacle and the temple of the God of heaven. Because when the Israelites left the land of Egypt, 
They took that gold as payment for their 215 years of, of labor without wages. You remember the Lord told the Israelites the last night they were there, go and borrow from all your neighbors because they're going to want to get rid of you so bad because the firstborn in their families is dead. They're going to give you everything they have. And so Israel plundered Egypt of its wealth that Joseph raised and they took it and it built the tabernacle of the great God of heaven. Joseph bought the whole nation lock, stock, and barrel for Pharaoh. What a man. No wonder Pharaoh wants to please him well. Pharaoh just gets to ride around in his chariot, sit in his throne once in a while, have parades, while Joseph raises taxes, and the people are most willing to pay it. They keep coming, offering to pay more in taxes so that they can get enough corn to make bread. That was at the age of 42. Two years left. And then he bought them in perpetuity slavery that they were going to pay taxes into the future to pay for present bread. Now we jump 14 years. Now how do we know this? Because the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that Jacob lived 17 years down there in the land of Egypt. And so Joseph is now 56 years old. He's 56. He's been around his brethren for 17 years. Jacob's been there in Egypt for 17 years. And Jacob's about to die. We come to verse 27. And Israel, that's not the people of Israel. That is the people of Israel, and it's also Jacob. You're going to see the Bible by the Holy Spirit. Israel, Jacob. Israel, Jacob. When did Jacob get his name changed to Israel? When he wrestled with that angel all night long and prevailed. He got his prayer request. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen. And they had possessions therein, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the whole age of Jacob was an hundred, forty, and seven years. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die. Jacob must die. And he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Jacob is at the very end of his life. And Jacob does not want to be left in Egypt. He doesn't want to be in that pagan and dark nation. He wants to be where the people of God have been promised to have a home. And that's in the land of Canaan. He remembers the promises made to Abraham and to Isaac and to himself by the God of heaven. And so he calls his most trusted son Joseph to come and make an oath to him. To swear to him. I'm going to die. And once I'm dead, I can't do anything for my body. I want you to do it for me. Get me out of this place and put me in the ground of Canaan along with Abraham and Isaac. Joseph swore to honor his father who had solicited a vow to take his body and bury it there. Jacob chose Joseph, the son he could trust, the son who had always done what his father said. Remember when Jacob had assigned Joseph to take a 60-mile trip to go find the brethren feeding their flocks, Joseph had said, 
here am I, willing to always do what his father wanted. He showed his integrity, and he showed his loyalty to his father. Father, I'll be happy to swear, and I will do this for you. We come to Genesis chapter 48. The whole chapter is dedicated to the two sons of Joseph. And if you were to read through this, and we're not going to, here are Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh was the firstborn, Ephraim was the secondborn. Joseph had two sons by the daughter of the priest of On. Her name was Asenath. And he has two sons. And when he knew that Jacob was about to die, he takes his two sons to go meet Jacob for Jacob to bless them. And a whole chapter is dedicated to it because Jacob blesses the secondborn son with the greater blessing over the firstborn. Remember, these boys are guided up to Jacob who is sitting up in bed and Joseph has arranged them to get Manasseh under his right hand and Jacob crosses his hands and blesses Ephraim more than Manasseh. And we can read about this and God's blessing upon Joseph and upon these two boys in Genesis chapter 48. The reward of the righteous. Joseph was the most righteous son that Jacob had. Therefore, he got two tribes of Israel. There was never a tribe called Joseph. Levi was one of the twelve brothers. He was brother number three. He was pulled out because he was the priestly tribe and was never going to have an inheritance among the brethren. His purpose was to serve God and to take a tithe from the rest of the people. That left ten. Joseph's not a tribe. Levi's not a tribe. That leaves ten. Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, become two tribes. So that Joseph gets a double portion of the blessing of Jacob and the blessing of God upon Israel. And that's what Genesis chapter 48 is all about. I'm going to bless you with two tribes of Israel through your two sons. He got the birthright. Not Reuben, the firstborn. Not Simeon, not Levi, not Judah. Joseph got the birthright. Two tribes of Israel. Is there a reason for his getting the birthright? He was the most righteous of the sons. Let a man be righteous. Let him be have the character that Joseph had, and that man is going to be blessed by God and men. It is possible to grow in favor with God and men. Samuel did it. Solomon taught it. And the Lord Jesus Christ did it. And Joseph did it. Joseph grew in favor with his father and with God. And God blessed his two sons to be two tribes that were important in the land of Israel. In fact, Ephraim is often a name used for the whole nation of Israel. Ephraim. God blessed Joseph that way. There is no loss to those that put their trust in the Lord and obey Him. There will be rewards in this world. A few times not. But then there's always rewards in heaven. But often, there are rewards in this life for those who are as faithful as Joseph was in his responsibilities. Let's come to chapter 49. Joseph, I mean Jacob, is on his deathbed. All the sons are gathered around. Look at Jacob in verse 1 of chapter 49. Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. He uses both of his names, but he calls all of his sons around his bed. This is the way to die. 
This is the way to die. He's got the strength to call his sons around him. And he has 12 sons there around his bed. He's able to speak to them by the power of God. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he starts with the oldest. And he works his way down. And he either denies them a blessing or he gives them a blessing. Let's look at an example. Reuben. Verse 3. Reuben. What a setting. As soon as he gets to the end, he's going to draw his legs up into bed and give up the ghost and be gathered to his people. No wonder Balaam said, let me die the death of the righteous. <laughs> what, a, what a way to die. With God inspiring your last words before you draw your legs up and die. How sweet to die. Sweet angels were beckoning Jacob, but he had a few things to say. And some of them weren't very pleasant. You cannot sin and not bear consequences for it. Be sure your sin will find you out. Let me read Reuben as an example only. Verses 3 and 4. Reuben, son, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defiledst thou it. He went up to my couch. Reuben had slept with one of Jacob's concubine wives. Many years later, Reuben, the firstborn, Reuben, the oldest, Reuben, that would turn into a great tribe, is told by his father, I haven't forgotten what you did. You're going to be as unstable as water and you're not going to amount as what you should have been. You should have been the excellency of my power. You should have been my dignity. You should have been the, my strength. But you went up to my bed. You defiled my bed. You took one of my wives. That's a sober little meeting, isn't it? I hope that when you read the Word of God, you're able to imagine Jacob lying there on his deathbed saying these things to his sons, and that's how he opens it up. I wonder what the other eleven were thinking if he had started that way with Reuben. What's he going to remember about me and bring up? Simeon and Levi, he went right after them. I made a covenant with the Shechemites that if they were circumcised, they could have Dinah. You went and killed them in your cruelty. And so he unloads on Simeon and Levi together. He put them both together as being cruel sons. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Then Judah, the fourth son. And you know the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come out of Judah. And so we read many wonderful things in those verses that are about him. But let's come, on, let's come down to verse 22 and listen to these. Wonderful words of blessing that Jacob pours out on Joseph. There is a reward for righteousness. Let me read how it is put in Psalm 19. Moreover, speaking about the Word of God, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Joseph gets great reward for his faithfulness. Verse 22, Jacob's voice. Joseph is a fruitful bow. 
even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him, and shot at him, and hated him. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. What a wonderful blessing Jacob poured out upon Joseph here. He tells him, Joseph, I'm giving you a bigger, better, clearer, nearer blessing than I got from my own fathers, from my progenitors. I'm going to give you something as special as I can, that you're going to be like a fruitful bough, planted by a well, running over the wall, blessings above, blessings beneath, blessings of the womb, blessings of the breast. You had archers shooting at you. Who's that referring to? His brethren. You had enemies. But the mighty, my, the mighty God that I have served all my life protected you and strengthened you. And look at you now, son. And I give you the best blessing that I possibly can. There is a reward for the righteous brethren. Do you know as they went around that room, they knew that their father was inspired in these last words? And upon their heads was coming either this lack of a blessing or this blessing. And you know, there were wonderful things said about Judah. But it wasn't because of Judah. And then it gets to Joseph. And it was because of Joseph. Because of his faithfulness. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and the keeping of them there is great reward. Learn that from Joseph. That there is a reward. There is a reward from God and fathers and other men. For those that serve as faithfully as Joseph served. Let's come to chapter 50. Jacob dies. Look at at that 33rd verse. And when Jacob had made an end of, of the chapter 49, verse 33. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. There was a taxi service there and it's You know, some people have sung about that taxi service. It's called Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. That took Jacob, not his body, but his spirit, because that's what he said he yielded up. It says he yielded up his ghost. That's his spirit. We call the Holy Ghost the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. He yielded that up. He gave it up. His spirit left his body. That left his body dead. And now Joseph had a job to do because he had made an oath. Do you think Joseph is going to keep his word? Do you think he's going to ask for a leave of absence? Do you think he's going to get his leave of absence? He is the way he asks for it. There was fear that Joseph might not return. You're going to see how Joseph asked for his leave of absence. Because without Jacob, and now without there being a famine, why would a Hebrew want to stay? They were a mighty people that had accumulated wealth and numbers in the land of Egypt. 
We've already read that. Verse 1. They're still around the bed. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. Now there might be some that say, the man's dead. How could you kiss a dead man? That's his body. Joseph loved his father. And I have heard tell of people that have the hearts of the sons of Belial that they don't know how to show grief and love a father like this or love a mother like this. But this is what Joseph did. And Joseph from beginning to end has wonderful character. The body is part of each person. Jesus Christ died for our body, our soul, and our spirit. That is why He is coming back to get our bodies and to reclaim them from the graves and to take them to heaven and unite them with our soul and spirits. Burial was so important, Jacob wanted his body transported out of Egypt all the way to Canaan. We do not cremate our dead. We are not Hindus. Hindus may cremate their dead because they have no hope of the resurrection. We have total hope of the resurrection, and we're not going to desecrate the bodies that God gave us. This is a gift from God to have a body. Jesus Christ died for this body. This body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. There's no reason to desecrate it. Joseph's going to have it embalmed. He's going to order his physicians to take care of it like it was royalty. But I want you to first of all notice grieving and mourning and crying for the dead. Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. I hope that all the children in here will love their fathers in the way that Joseph loved his father. Look at the bowels of compassion he had. Look at the deep feelings and the parental and fatherly affection he had and the parental honor he showed his dad. Verse 2, Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And forty days were fulfilled for him. For so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. The embalming process took 40 days and the Egyptians mourned 70 days for Joseph's father. Do you think that Joseph was in good reputation in Egypt? He took over in storing up corn when he was 30. Now he's 56. It's 26 years later. Does the nation love Joseph? The nation loves Joseph so much they love Joseph's father. And they mourn for him 70 days. The flags were at half-mast for Jacob. In Egypt, because of Joseph, is your reputation such that a relative of yours visiting your employer would be received happily and cheerfully because of your reputation? Oh, praise the God of heaven, let's do that. Let's show that by the way that we live. Let's be like Joseph so that our relations are also held in high esteem because of our character, especially our character on the job. Let's read about this funeral procession they had. It starts at verse 7. And Joseph went up to bury his father. And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house, 
Only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, for it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. What a procession. What a funeral procession. Chariots. Horsemen. A large number. The officers of Egypt. The cabinet. It all went. Why? Because of Joseph's reputation. And what a sore lamentation. They had already mourned for 70 days. But after those 70 days were fulfilled, they went on to Canaan and mourned another 70, another, another seven days with a sore lamentation. So much so that the Canaanites said, this is unusual even for the Egyptians, which make such a big deal about their dead. Why? Because Joseph loved his father, and all of Egypt knew that Joseph loved his father, and they grieved right along with him. What a funeral procession. I don't know how you can, you cannot read these, these verses and these chapters and not just be overcome with emotion as the Lord shows you tenderness between a father and a son. Let me remind you of the importance of this. This is not, these are not my words. These are the words of the Lord of heaven. He sent John the Baptist for one chief reason. To unite the hearts of fathers to their sons to prepare a people for the Lord. That is what John the Baptist came for. John the Baptist came to point out Jesus of Nazareth as the appointed Messiah of God. But he also came to preach repentance to get fathers and sons united because it is close family relationships that are a people prepared for the Lord. When we have dysfunction, pain, dissension, bitterness, harshness, coldness in our marriages or our children or our families, we are depriving ourselves of God's fullest blessing. Joseph had it. And what a blessing he got from God and his father. What a funeral procession. Look at his bowels of compassion. Look at his deep feelings. He kept the vow. Let's see how he did it. Verse 4. And when the days of his mourning were past, that is the 70 days of mourning for Jacob were gone, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die. In my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. Follow. What if Joseph took all his brethren, their wives, the whole house, and left Egypt and went all the way into the land of Canaan? Would it look like he was leaving and deserting Egypt? It would look that way. He did not go directly to Pharaoh. He went and enlisted the support of Pharaoh's servants, though the cabinet of Pharaoh. He got them on his side. Listen. 
My father has a grave that he's already dug in Canaan. He made me swear to him before he died that I would bury him there. Will you go and speak to Pharaoh on my behalf and beg a leave of absence for me, and I shall return at the end of it? Wisdom. Great wisdom. Great wisdom. If he had gone into Pharaoh, then he would have that cabinet outside the loop. Outside the loop, when the whole group of Hebrews, except for their little ones, had got up and left, it would look like they were all deserting Egypt. And the cabinet could have raised all sort of accusation against Joseph that he was deserting his post and they were deserting the land. And what an economic downturn there would be from all this labor disappearing. So he gets the cabinet involved. That is why we have those verses right there. The wisdom and discretion of Joseph to get them involved. They go to Pharaoh. They tell Pharaoh the sob story. Jacob has a grave already in a a family cemetery in the middle of Canaan. And Joseph's promised to come back. He's promised us he'll come back. And he gave an oath to his father that he would do it. What discretion. What wisdom. It's almost too high for us to understand. You say, well, he had such a great relationship with Pharaoh. Oh, he got everyone understanding what was going on so that when there was a mass exodus of that many people going to the land of Canaan, there wouldn't be alarm in the nation of Egypt. I wish we could, I wish we could assimilate all the wisdom of Joseph, all the wisdom of Solomon in the book of Proverbs so that we could be as wise in all our dealings. Verse 12, he, he did exactly what he said he would do. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them, for his sons carried him into the land of Canaan. And buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned into Egypt. He and his brethren and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. He kept his word and he did come back. Now what happens? How old is... Jacob, uh, Joseph now? How old is Joseph right now? 56. When did his brother sell him into slavery? 17. That's 39 years. Let's round it off at 40. This is what sin will do to you. Sin, not confessed, not repented of fully, not cleared fully, is going to chase you the rest of your life. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. Was there any man pursuing these ten brothers? Was Joseph pursuing them? He had been with them for 17 years. He had fed them in the best part of Egypt for 17 years. And still the sin haunts them. The guilt, because they never cleared it with the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of Joseph. They did not clear themselves from their guilt. And so it is still chasing them and they lie to their brother. Verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. 
he couldn't believe it. He wept that they were still grieving over something he had forgiven them for 17 years earlier when he made himself known to them and forgave them what they had done. These, we do not want the heart of those brothers. Though that, that heart is hard. That heart does not receive forgiveness. That heart does not seek repentance like it should have. And they lied to their brother. They had not stopped their foolish ways. Jacob had not said that. How do we know Jacob didn't say that? Because the whole thing is a concoction by these brothers upon the fact that Jacob is now dead. Now we're going to get in trouble because we don't have that safeguard measure there of our father. Now that father's not around to see what Joseph's going to do to us, he's going to use his authority in the land of Egypt to kill us and punish us for what we did. Joseph wept when they spake unto him. He couldn't believe it. And he says in verse 19, and the, the difference between Joseph and his brethren is like night and day. It's the light of God in a heart and the lack of it. Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Am I the one that's supposed to judge you for what you did? God's in charge of all those things. All such things as past sins like what you did 40 years ago, that's in God's hands. I'm not in the place of God. I'm just your brother. Don't be afraid of me after 17 years together. Fear not. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Is there anywhere a living example outside of the Lord Jesus Christ as tender as that right there when Joseph comforted them, spake kindly to them, told them there was no reason to be afraid that he would nourish not only them, but their whole family trees. He had the wealth of Egypt at his disposal, and he was going to take care of them. That is forgiveness. That is a man taught by the Spirit of God that God had forgiven him 10,000 talents, and he could easily forgive his brothers the hundred pence of what they had done to him. You will not encounter men who will do to you what Joseph's brethren did to him. But He forgave them this way, this consistently, this tenderly. And He comforted them and spake kindly to them. Verse 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. And Joseph lived in 110 years. There were 54 more years to run in the life of Joseph. Notice, the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh are beginning to develop. Verse 23, And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. The children of the fourth generation have special value in the Bible. Job lived long enough to see the children of the fourth generation. That is a son, a grandson, his son, and another son. Four generations removed from you. Job saw it. 
It is the testimony in Joel chapter 1. It is the testimony in Psalm 78 that fathers who live a righteous life and teach their children the fear of the Lord are affecting four generations. When a father teaches his son, that son teaches that father's grandson, that grandson teaches more children and the generation to come. That's how it's worded in Joel 1. That's how it's worded in Psalm 78. It's one of the most wonderful aspects of having children. Joseph saw the children of the fourth generation. How do we know that? Because Ephraim saw the children of the third generation. And the third generation to Ephraim would have been the fourth generation to Joseph. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Manasseh hadn't had them quite so quickly, and there were only two generations from Manasseh. But I want you to see three and four generations, one through Ephraim and one through Manasseh right here in this context, God blessing Joseph to see his children's children and peace upon Israel. Isn't that a promise of the Bible? Yeah, it is. Last point, and this is the one that he's in Hebrews 11 for. Out of all the life of Joseph, out of all these 14 chapters, when Paul, by the Holy Spirit, wrote Hebrews 11 and put one verse in there about Joseph, this is the event. Verse 24, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And so ends the book of Genesis and the life of Joseph. And what is the name of the next book? Exodus, the leaving of the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And Moses picked up that coffin that had Joseph's embalmed body in it. And Moses and the Israelites took it across the Red Sea. And they wandered around in circles with it for 40 years. And then they took it across Jordan and buried it in the land of Canaan. And that is what he is remembered for in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Joseph, when he was about to die, made mention of his bones that they would be carried into the land of Canaan. Because he knew that God was going to keep all of his promises toward Israel. Brethren, we have heard about Joseph. We have seen him from his faithfulness as a 17-year-old youth serving his father, all the way to a 56-year-old man forgiving his brothers again, to a 110-year-old man knowing that God would deliver his people and wanting to be buried in the land of promise. Can we, if we're 17, or if we're 56, or if we're hoping to be 110, Live like Joseph and have the character that Joseph had. For by faith, Joseph obtained a good report. And may we obtain a good report by similar faith. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.